Well, happy Mother's Day, and today we're going to combine our Mother's Day talk with our new Easter series as well. If you remember, we're doing five stories of the Easter series. So thinking about uh, Mother's Day, I was thinking back of all the things over the years. I've been a mother now for 35 years. Now I was thinking of some of the happy memories that stand out, all the parks and the beaches, thinking of collecting conkers, feeding the squirrels in Sketty Park, tents in the garden, painting and picnics, cuddles and tickles, story time. And my favorite memory is Julian enduring many an afternoon of amateur nurses and doctors at the hands of the children, a little kit we picked up in the early learning center. I'd recommend it. They've spent hours doing operations, and he has the stitches to show for it. And I also remember the tired days the long days, the rainy days, the naughty days, the joys and the struggles of being a mother. I just want to say well done to all the mums in the room. It's not an easy job. Keep going. There's no perfect mother. We are just who we are, and we are the only mother for our child. So let's not be striving for some kind of perfect standard that doesn't exist. Let's just love our little ones, or medium-sized ones, or big ones, or whatever size they are now. And um, we just do our best with God's help. Now, I was thinking of maybe giving six tips on Mothering Sunday from 35 years of mothering. And I wonder what your tips would be, whether you've been a mother for you know, 50 years, 60 years, 30 years, 10 years, one year. What would your tip be if you were like on a bus with a young pregnant mother and they said, oh, I see you have children. Quick, give me six tips before I get off the bus. What would your tips be? Well, here's just a few of mine thinking of the years that have gone by. <clears throat> Number one is this. I think our roles as mum mums is to create safety, to create a safe place for our children to grow up, that it is a safe haven, it's the springboard, the launch pad, so they know that home is a place where they are safe, their identity is formed, where they know that they are loved, that they can face anything outside the home, anything in the world, first day at nursery, first day at school, going off to university, because they come from this springboard, this safe haven of home. And it's important as we form their identity in our home that they know that they're loved. They're not just loved, but they know that they're loved. And it's a, it's a love that isn't reward-based, that we give out our love if they do something right, but it's actually unconditional love that mirrors the love of God. So that's our goal, or that's what we're aiming for. Number two, I've called trust your instinct. Now, we don't always get it right, do we, trusting our instinct? But in many ways, you know your child. You know when they're a bit off color, or they're, they're quiet, or you know as a mother, you have the instinct. And I want to, to encourage you that because you know them so well, you know when to inspire them to try a bit harder, or you know when to protect them from something, or you know when to nudge them out of the nest. And so trust your instinct on that. I want to encourage you to resist the school gate pressure. Well, these days it's social media pressure. And everyone has an opinion on how you should do something, but you are your child's mother, and you often have the instinct of what they need. I remember as a young mum, feeling like I never quite got it right at the school gate. 
I remember all the mums squabbling over, the children would have like a reading book and the teacher would make a comment and there'd be a little star or a number. And I, I was always confused at the competitiveness at the school gate or who could do the best plats. And I mean, some of these mums, they must have been up at six, like plaiting these creations. And I could just about pull strands of hair into a little bobble and that was about my lot. So just want to encourage you, withstand outside pressure. Switch the social media off. Enjoy the time with your child. And don't bow to that pressure. Trust your instinct and stand strong. Number three is love and discipline or love and training. And these are two sides of one coin. We can't love our children and not discipline them. And we can't discipline them and not love them. It's two sides of one coin. It's essential that those two go together. And discipline really... We do that because we love them. And discipline really is training. And it's bringing clear boundaries for our children to negotiate life well. Because when they go outside of our safe haven, that launch pad, into the world, they have to no negotiate the rules of the world. So we give them a head start to help them and give them clear boundaries to negotiate their future. I want to encourage you, resist tiredness causing you to back down. You know, sometimes when you've made a stand, but you have to bring it again and again and again, and it's so tempting to let tiredness just go, oh, well. But think long-term. If I could give any tip, it really would be, don't just think in the short-term that everything we do today is training for tomorrow and next week and next year. And children don't grow out of being naughty. They grow into it quite well. And so we need to bring loving, clear boundaries that show that we care. And whatever age a child is, they still need those clear, loving boundaries from a parent. We just deliver them in a different way as they grow older. I know it's not easy, but it's rewarding in the long term. So let's make sure those two go together. Number four, we heard this a little bit this morning as well, is about being curious or their early education. Now, early education for our little ones is vital. They spend so many years in school where they have to go in, fend for themselves all day, and then come back. And anything we can do that helps them in advance of school will really, really help them and give them an advantage. So fire their curiosity. Take them out into nature. Fire those five senses. Get involved in them. Get on the floor with them. Play with them. Take them out. And so they have that clear advantage that helps them all through their school life because they learn so much in those early years. And also as part of this, treasure those times treasure them. Even though sometimes it seems endless. You've done Play-Doh, you've done a jigsaw, you've done messy puddles, you've done it all, and it's only 11 o'clock. And I know that feeling. But treasure those times because one day they will fly the nest and you will have all those lovely memories and you'll have peace and quiet as well. But treasure them in the moment. Number five, I would say, look after yourself too. Look after yourself a ragged mother, a tired mother. It's not great for you, it's not great for them. Don't go it alone, but find friends. Wasn't it lovely to hear um, the testimony this morning of the girls here, of how they found friendship together. It's so lovely, um, of uh, Gemma and Rachel. So I've called this one Rest and Joy. 
find little nuggets of rest and find little moments of joy. Doesn't have to be expensive, doesn't have to be long, just little things that replenish. When our children were little, I remember once a year, I would get on a coach to the Ideal Home Exhibition in London, in Earl's Court. And I would leave the house about five in the morning and I would get back about midnight. And I had the whole day to myself. I didn't go with anyone. I didn't want to go with a friend. I didn't want to go with anyone else. I just went a whole day on my own with no one speaking to me. Mummy, 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 mummy. Nobody, you know, as much as I love that sound in my ears. I want to give you nightmares, Matthew. But, um, it was just, oh, it was just a wonderful thing. And I remember another time really clearly. Julian and I had gone on holiday. I think we were staying in my auntie's house when she was away. And we'd found this, uh, she used to leave us, t leave us tips of places to go. And we went to this beautiful woodland stream and we walked with the children. They were in and out of the stream and picking up sticks and stones and playing. And, you know, we spent some time there. And as we were about to walk back, I said to Julian, would you mind just taking the kids back, putting them in the car, strapping them in, giving them a drink, wiping their dirty feet? Would you, would you mind just doing that? Because I just need to stay in the woods another 10 minutes. I just need to stay here. And so off we went with the kids, and I just sat there with my feet in the water, listening to the sound of the water. I remember that even now. I remember that moment. And so take those little moments where you can to rest and replenish. I want to encourage you, stay close to Jesus. Don't do this by yourself. We need friends, we need each other, but we need Jesus in this journey. Stay replenished in your spiritual walk. It's so important. Continue to read your Bible, listen to worship, worship with Jesus. Be com a committed and active member of your small group. Stay fueled spiritually. That will really help you keeping that tank full. And number six, and these aren't in any particular order because this really is the most important one. This one is all about Jesus. Raise them to love Jesus. From day one, pray over them, sing over them, and make sure they've got a little baby Bible, a child's Bible, a youth Bible. Two hours on a Sunday is just really insufficient. So take your child on your faith adventures with you in your conversations, your values that you're living out, the sacrifice that they see you do, your hospitality, helping others, the tone in the home that we, we are following Jesus. Let that be the tone in the home that they grow up under. And their faith will be the best ally in their life because they're only with us for a short time. Then they're in school a lot. Then they're in uni. Then they've got their own home maybe and a job. And they're with us for a short time. So as mothers, it's not an easy job. But I would say these are my six top tips of focusing on raising our children together. And I, it's lovely that we have a church of so many children and babies that they can grow up in that confidence with each other too. So this morning as well, because this is part of our Easter series, I thought, what better than to take inspiration from the most famous mother in the whole world, who is Mary. And so we're going to look a little bit together at Mary's story and see what encouragement we can take from it for mothers and for everyone else of this young woman, this incredible story, and see what we can learn through her adventure. <coughs> So we start with Mary in this very small village of Nazareth. Everybody knew each other. 
Mary is probably 14 or 16 years of age when we first encounter her in the Gospels. And we see that she's already betrothed to Joseph, who was probably most likely in his 30s, because that was the culture at the time. And so she was a young girl with all of her life ahead. And we, the first thing we see is this life is interrupted by the visit of Gabriel. You imagine being a young teenager. You have faith in God, but suddenly one day you encounter an almighty angel. How incredible is that? And we see her response to the angel is that she's ready. The overwhelming surprise with this young girl is she's ready. She's ready to go. She's ready to embrace what the angel says. We see as well that she's aware of the oppression that her people are under. She wants to be part of the solution. She like embraces it with a fighting attitude. She sings this song like her heart will burst about the liberation of her people from oppression and that she's going to be a part of that. There was no qualms at all. She just takes on this incredible thing about being the mother of Jesus and that you know, without sleeping with a man, God is going to come on her by the Holy Spirit and she will conceive. And she embraces this miracle, she accepts it, and she's ready to go. She has this brave, courageous heart. And I love to see how in her young years, she's just like, come on. She's just raring to go. There's no hesitation uh, like her sort of kind of cousin uncle, Zechariah. Uh, he was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to happen. No, Mary is like, count me in. Straight away, count me in. Here she is and sings this Beautiful, beautiful song. And it's interesting how in the, when she sings this song, you can see like her heart is bursting. And throughout her story, there's many times in scripture where it mentions Mary's heart. So let's notice that as we go through her story. Also, we see this young woman is tenacious and unafraid of what people think because she knows that she's going to face opposition to be a young, unmarried mother pregnant and as that pregnancy starts to show that Joseph might even put her aside she's going to face opposition and misunderstanding and yet she's still willing for a higher call of bringing God's purposes to earth that she will do it and as we know God kindly visits um, uh, Joseph in a dream and tells him it's okay and so Joseph uh, marries Mary and takes her as his wife but doesn't sleep with her till after Jesus is born. And as soon as Mary has this message from the angel, we see she's off to Elizabeth. And I love the way she's not doing this by herself. Gabriel kind of slips in that Elizabeth is also with child. And so Mary travels straight away to go and see her cousin Elizabeth. Elizabeth is bearing a child in her old age. Mary is carrying a baby very young. And they go and they just have this comradeship together, of facing the future together, two women to change the world, the older and the younger, and she seeks out a friend, and she spends three months with Elizabeth, probably asking each other questions and preparing for what's to come, both first-time mums, despite the age difference. And I'd love to see them embracing their future together as women. And then Mary goes back home, and the baby grows, and she's now about nine months pregnant. And then we know that Caesar Augustus delivers this news that everyone has to travel back to their hometown, which means Mary and Joseph as a couple now have to travel to Bethlehem. You imagine now being nine months pregnant on a 90-mile journey. Now, in all the films and everything, it shows a donkey. Were they wealthy enough to have a donkey? We don't know. 
Did they have a donkey? Did they walk? Even being on a donkey at nine months pregnant, I cannot imagine. It's very hard to imagine. And so they do this like nightmare journey that takes days. And then they finally arrive in Bethlehem and the time comes for the baby to be born. You imagine this first time mum carrying the savior of the world, not knowing what to expect, but arriving in Bethlehem and there's no room anywhere. The only place there is room is a stable. Many think this is more like a cave type place, but either way, a stable, a cave, it's where the animals were kept. And here she is going into a place where the animals are kept having a baby for the first time. And she gives birth to this beautiful little son, Jesus. And she holds him in her arms. What must she have been thinking of the nine months of carrying him? And now here he is, this tiny little baby who's going to impact the world. And she has nowhere to lay him except the animal's trough in a manger. And she swaddles this little one up and lays the newborn baby in a manger. Just as she's getting over it and has like a a chance to have a breather and maybe Joseph made her a nice cup of tea, but the shepherds come bursting in. And we know the shepherds experience this chorus of angels on the hillside that a Messiah is born and they will find him and this will be the sign that he's in an animal's feeding trough in a stable in Bethlehem. And they run down there and they find him. You imagine being Mary and these shepherds burst in and they're excited and they're talking about the angels and they're seeing the baby. Would you feel protective? Would you want to like hold the baby back? Would you like, you know, feel free? Is asleep now? I don't know. How, how does she feel? There's no privacy. But also the confirmation it must have been to her that, you know, she's had this call from God. She's had this like quiet pregnancy. Here they are alone in, in not great surroundings, but the shepherds come and her heart must have been full to know this is real. This is right. I did hear right. You know, all these angels have told the shepherds. And the shepherds go around telling everybody what has happened. And Luke records in chapter 2. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Can you see this great storage of Mary's heart? Pondering up these things thinking about what's going on, making sure her life is aligned with God's purposes, caring for this little baby. And then within the first 40 days, she has to go on another journey. Now, 40 days after giving birth in a stable, another two-hour trip, probably on foot. I don't know if I would be up for that, would you? But for Mary, within the first 40 days, they have to go to Jerusalem for the purification ceremony. So they're back on the road. It's a two-hour walk and two hours back. Mary, Joseph, and the baby. Luke records in chapter 2, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And this is what happens when they go into the temple. There's two people, two prophets, who've been waiting a long time to see the Messiah. One is Simeon and one is a widow called Anna. And they have been waiting. And when they see Mary and Joseph and Jesus, they've come to do the little sacrifice with the birds or the pigeons. They see the Messiah. God speaks to them. This is him, this newborn baby, barely a month old. They see it and they walk over. And Simeon prophesies over the family. And Anna comes and prophesies. What confirmation again in Mary's heart. This is true. We're on track. This is right. And what an amazing thing for Anna and Simeon, who have waited all these years to see the promise of God. And then they see it in their old age. 
And Simeon also prophesies a warning to Mary that in all the joy that she's experiencing in this incredible moment as the mother of Jesus, that pain is on its way and there will come a time when her heart will be pierced too. In Luke 2, it says, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Can you imagine? Maybe 16 newborn baby at the purification you hear these words and it is a warning that in all the joy and all the adventures to come there is pain ahead too and this young woman stores these things and obviously I would think shares them with Joseph and they talk them through and they go back to Bethlehem to live and then within about a year they're visited by the wise men Matthew records in chapter 2 This is about the wise men coming. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. How astonishing for Mary. Again, visitors out of the blue. And we know the story that they saw the star in the east and they checked everything out and they read everything and searched and they went to Herod and then they end up finding Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem. And they bring these royal gifts. And I wonder too whether these expensive gifts helped them when they were on the run later. And so it's interesting as well to note that when the shepherds come to see the baby, the Greek for seeing the baby, when they came to see the baby, is brephos, meaning newborn child or infant. And can you see the word there on the screen, brephos? But when the wise men come later, they find a child in a house, not a baby in a stable. And the Greek here that is used is pedion, which means a little boy or a little girl, a young child. And the use of these two different Greek words show that Jesus had aged slightly. He'd grown up slightly between the shepherds discovering him in a stable and the wise men visiting him in a house. And we can see now that they're no longer in a stable, but they've secured a place to live. So the wise men visit, and Jesus is maybe one to two years old. They leave these expensive gifts, and it's another part of Mary's journey of discovery. And then suddenly, danger strikes. In the night, the angel visits Joseph and says, quick, get up. Herod is after the baby. Your job is to protect him, to provide a safe place. You better get on the run now. And it says, in the middle of the night, Joseph took a hold of his family. He took Mary and Jesus, and they escaped, and they escaped to Egypt. They didn't know what they were escaping, but they were warned. And Joseph, I love the way it says in the scripture, immediately he got up and took the family in the middle of the night. And by morning, the soldiers came, and they came to Bethlehem and all the surrounding area and they slaughtered all children two and under because they realized that's the age that Jesus could be the maximum would be age two they slaughtered all the newborn babies aged naught to two because Herod was so affronted that another king may have just been born to take over his rulership this terrible thing happens we're going to see how Mary is charged with caring for Jesus and looking after him and keeping him safe and so she and Joseph escape off to Egypt And they stay there for a while until they finally hear that Herod has died. And eventually they go back to Nazareth where they set up home together. 
So then we see a period of time of Jesus growing up in Nazareth. And we know that Mary goes on to have other children. There are four sons and at least two sisters. Let's remind ourselves, remember when we looked at Jesus' brothers some time ago in Mark 6. This is talking about Jesus going back to his hometown. And in the hometown, they say, what are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And his sisters live right here among us. So we know it's at least two sisters, could be more. And so we can see that over these years, Mary and Joseph have been adding to the family. So Jesus is the oldest, and then they have James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, and at least two sisters. So you imagine Mary, you know, handling this family of all growing up. And we skip then to Jesus, age 12, in the temple. And this this story is a real, like, you know, if you want a loophole as a parent, when you get on those days, you get it wrong. This is the loophole for getting it wrong. Joseph, Mary, all the family in a big caravan, I don't mean a caravan like, you know, on wheels with a lid, but, you know, a big group of them, they all travel uh, down to Jerusalem for the feast. And there they go, and Mary and Joseph lose Jesus. It's like you had one job, to protect the Messiah. And they go down, they all enjoy the feast, and they travel one day's journey, the whole family, one day's journey, cousins, aunties, uncles, friends, everyone. They go a whole day's journey till somebody says, you got Jesus? You've seen Jesus? You've seen Jesus? You've got Jesus? Jesus? They find they left him. They left him in Jerusalem. Now, they've traveled a day. They've got to travel a day back, or maybe it's a night they travel back. It says they spent three days in Jerusalem looking for him. I, I mean... Just that feeling, you know that moment in a supermarket when you turn around and they're like gone for two minutes? It's a horrible feeling. But here are Mary and Joseph. You had one job, protect the Messiah. Where is he? I mean, Jerusalem would have its fair share of thieves and scoundrels and, you know, and what did Jesus do? Where did he sleep? Where did he eat? What did he do? They're looking everywhere. They've like messed up in their, their job. Where, where is Jesus? So eventually, as we know from the story, they find him in the temple, debating with the elders. Now, if that's not annoying, you know, but there he is safe. What must have been going through their mind? In Luke 2, it says this, Jesus replies to his parents, why were you searching for me? <gasps> why were you searching for me, he asked innocently. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. I bet she did. She is juggling, raising the Messiah with other normal siblings who are naughty. And we know the brothers didn't believe in him till he died and rose again. Do you imagine she's negotiating all that? What did the other children have to say about Jesus bunking off for three days on his own in Jerusalem? And so Mary has got to negotiate this family life of raising the Messiah who she's trying to understand and raising the other children all together. And we know at some point Joseph dies because we don't hear about Joseph after this. And so Mary... Did she have help from cousins and sisters and aunties? I don't know, but there she was raising at least seven children by herself. 
And maybe this is partly why Jesus is, you know, caring for the family. Maybe this is why he doesn't start his ministry till 30, because probably the youngest by then is like seven or eight of all these children. So then we skip to Jesus, age 30, and think of Mary now. Her eldest, Jesus, is 30, and then the other kids are probably like 27 all the way down to maybe nine years of age, negotiating this. They're all invited as a family with the disciples to a wedding. And they're in Cana in this wedding. And what I love about this is how they run out of wine. There's a big crisis. Jesus says, it's not my time yet, but mother knows best. And mother will take no uh, notice of what Jesus says at all and just plows in there and says, do whatever he says. And this just, it just makes me laugh that her relationship with Jesus is such that everyone else is like in awe of the Messiah. But at the end of the day, she's his mother. And she says, just do what he says and knows that he can sort it out. Not only that, he does. So that's really interesting, isn't it? So he's a grown man and he's still, <laughs> he's responding to what his mother says. I find it really amusing. So his mother's instinct says, Jesus can sort this out. I know it's going to be okay. In John 2, it says, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. She knows he can sort this out. And I love how it says after this, after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. And there they stayed for a few days. We know Jesus was living in Capernaum at this time. And how you can see his mother is still involved with his ministry. And through those three years of Jesus' ministry, healing, teaching, talking, traveling, I'm sure Mary must have been involved around the fringes of that. And Jesus is still going to visit her and see her and see her involved with it. We know that, that one time when embarrassing, she turns up at the house because they think Jesus should come home. But all these things, as Jesus' ministry grows, I can imagine her treasuring these things in her heart. And I would think for Mary, in a way, these are like the golden years. He is a grown man. She must be worried for him. Is he eating? Has he put his coat on? Where is he sleeping? Is he out in the open air? He doesn't have a home like, like the foxes. You know, there must be kind of a mother's, you know, um, where is he today? And also the growing danger with the religious leaders. She must have been aware politically of the danger that he was under also managing family tensions with the brothers and the sisters. And it becomes very dangerous when the authorities want to kill him. And eventually, as we know, circumstances lead to Jesus being on the cross. And when I think about the cross, I cannot imagine for Mary what that was like. As a mother, Jesus was only 33. And that Jesus went to the cross for each of us. But he had a mother that was her son going through a painful Roman execution. And Mary would probably only have been about 46 to 49 years of age, probably not yet 50, seen so much in that time. And now she has this broken heart as Jesus is on the cross just as Simeon prophesied. And on the cross there, you remember when he prophesied over her and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And do you remember when they put the sword in Jesus' side? There was like a painful sword in Mary's heart too. I cannot imagine. But what I do notice about the cross 
is that everybody fled. Everybody left. Many watched at a distance because it was so dangerous. There were so few at the foot of the cross. And one of those few was his mother. You know, you, I'm sure as a mother, there's no place you'd rather not be than at the foot of seeing your son executed. But there she is, faithful to the end. That is a mother's love. To still be there when everyone else had run away. There is his mother at the foot of the cross. I think it's astonishing. And she wouldn't abandon him like everybody else. But she was faithful in there, whatever the cost. And I'm sure for the other disciples, when they fled, when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, they were worried they would be next. They were worried they would be on a cross. They were so public, they'd be on a cross next to Jesus. But Mary, whatever the cost, she was there for her son. She would not leave him to suffer by himself. And the disciple whom he loved was there too. There's Mary and John, the disciple Jesus loved. And out of all those disciples who ran away, John was there. That is love. Love keeps you there to the very end. And in John, he records this, John 19. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. There they are, faithful to the end. They wouldn't leave him. And when Jesus saw his mother there, And the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, that's John, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. And even there on the cross, this love between the mother and Jesus, Jesus even dying in agony on the cross, makes sure his mother is cared for when he's gone. And it shows his care as well. Well, amazingly, we know that Jesus rose from the dead. He died on the cross to forgive us for all the things we've ever done wrong, that we can have a relationship with him. And all we need to say is, Jesus, forgive me, come in my life. I want to walk these days with you. And we have a relationship with Jesus all our life. That means we experience him now, today, through our lives and in eternity. And Jesus did that for us because he loved us. And on the third day, he rose again. He defeated death. Death couldn't hold him. And it's amazing how when he rose again, it says in Acts 1, after his suffering, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And so he met with his disciples and everybody. And I'm sure he met with Mary too. I bet he's talked to her. I bet she's like, what was it like? What can you remember? I'm so glad, son, that you are back. And then when Jesus ascends to heaven, he tells all his disciples to wait in Jerusalem. There's a group of about 120 of them. And we see that Mary is a core part of this, which makes me think she must have been a part of his ministry during the three years. Because when they're told to wait in Jerusalem, they go back and they go back to the upper room and they're there together waiting and praying and waiting for the promised Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.14, it says, They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And there's this close-knit group of 120. They've seen the cross. They've seen the resurrection. They spent 40 days with Jesus. He's ascended back to heaven, and they're waiting in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And they're in that tight-knit group, following Jesus is Mary, baptized in the Holy Spirit. They go out onto the street.
streets and witnessed to the crowd. And 3,000 that day added to the church. And then we know the story of Acts and everything that happened. And there was Mary. And I love to see how she was so enthused at the beginning as a young, naive 16-year-old. She's so, come on, let's do this. I'm going to be a part of it. And she's just so enthusiastic. And then she walks all through Jesus' life, even to the cross, even to the upper room, filled with the Holy Spirit and enduring with him beyond. It's an amazing story, isn't it? I just love it. So to round up this morning's like Mother's Day Easter story, I think Mary is an inspiration to each of us. What an inspiration, and especially to us as mothers. Mary knew the joys and the pain, the time when it pierced her heart and the joy of seeing things happen in those golden years, the craziness of losing him in Jerusalem, raising him with the siblings, but being there throughout. So let's consider for Mary. She was a woman of grit, she was tenacious. She knew the pain and the joy. As a young mother, she created a safe place for Jesus to grow up and launch himself from. He knew that he was loved. She kept him safe when in danger and on the run and was supportive all his life. Then there she is at the cross, faithful to the end and ready for new adventures in the early church. Mary's example is inspirational to us. Here's some takeaways I think we can ponder on today. Ponder in our hearts throughout the day. Hold on to faith. Hold on to faith. She started well. She ended well. It's all faith. Hold on to faith. Stick close to Jesus. Stick close to him. Don't try going it alone. Just tiredness and will overtake us. We'll be drowning in our overwhelmedness. But hold on, stick close to Jesus. Walk with Jesus through the joys and the pains, the happy days and the tough days. Create a safe place as the launching pad for your child. Be their greatest ally. Be there to help propel them into the world. Build a home full of love and trust. Treasure up the moments in your heart. Every moment you spend with them, the special times, the daily times, treasure it up because it's really special. Fuel their faith in Jesus from a young age. It's the best you can do for them. You know, we can do everything as a mother to the best of our human flawed ability, but the very best thing we can do is help them to connect with Jesus for themselves because that's what will carry them through life even when we're gone. And be filled with the Holy Spirit like Mary. Ask him, help me, Jesus. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit. Help me to be a blessing to the people in my life. Help love to flow through me. Help me in just my weakness and ordinariness to love those in my little circuit. And ask the Holy Spirit to help you. So I just want to close by saying, well done, mums. I think you are amazing. I think you do a brilliant job. Well done. Let's pray. Let's just take a moment in your own prayer to thank Jesus for your mum. No mum is perfect. 
some of our mums might not have done a brilliant job, but they're still your mum. Let's just thank God for them a moment. Lord Jesus, I thank you for creating this role of mother. I thank you for all that it means, and I ask for your Holy Spirit to come upon every mother here and watching online too. You will help us, Lord, in this task at whatever stage we are, to do it with wisdom and love and kindness. Help us when we're tired. Help us, Lord, to create those loving boundaries that help our child know right from wrong. Ask, Lord, for your overwhelming kindness and love upon every person. I pray, Lord, for mums who say it's just been a struggle from day one to know that you are there and you are with them and not to go it alone. Lord, I pray for your love and kindness and your energy to come upon every mother. We thank you for our children here. We thank you, Lord, for every single one. And we ask, Lord, that your hand will be upon them, that you will protect them and they may be raised up to love you and know you for themselves. And Jesus, we thank you for Mary, your mother. What an amazing woman. We thank you for her. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for the rescue that you did on the cross, that you were willing to go through that for us. Lord Jesus, we love you so much that you would do that to free us from our own sins and to know you. Jesus, we thank you. You are amazing. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.